to um, my message today. So um, I thought as a little introduction, we, um, we took a little vox pop and interviewed a few couples who go to this church, so it's no big deal. They've all got American accents. But anyway, um, why don't you roll that uh, video, Ben, and let's hear what some of these couples have to say. Okay, okay. So I hope you realize that that was tongue-in-cheek, right? That was a joke, because I did look out there and see a few people going, yes, amen, exactly. No, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke. Um, so I just thought just to, uh, to begin things off. Here's another photograph that I saw on Instagram that I thought was quite interesting. And I'll read out the caption to you because the print's quite small. Um, but this guy says, Five years of bliss. Marriage is hard for most people, but because I'm perfect and without fault, I'm able to transcend my wife's shortcomings. I'm a soaring eagle upon whom she takes flight. You're welcome. I love you, Kiki. <laughs> wow, what an awesome guy. What an amazing guy. He must be, she must be so happy being married to that guy. Um, so anyway, a little bit of humor there. Who knows that these guys, these couples got the wrong idea, right? You with me? Got the wrong idea. Um, anyway, we're going to, I'm just going to promo a couple of things. First one is this one, date night. Yeah. Date night's coming up on the 11th of November can't believe I'm saying November already. Um, the 11th of November, Patricia Wirakun, who you saw her face before, she is a Christian sexologist. Now, when I was studying, when I was thinking about what career I was going to get into, no one told me about this sexologist business. I mean, I could have made a profession out of it, but at the moment, it's just a hobby. Um, but anyway, um, Patricia is the right sort of person that you want to be, be able to talk about sex with. Um, I think, you know, she, she looks like a, you know, the Yoda of sexology. Um, she's a wise person, but honestly, I haven't heard her speak. I've heard her speak once, actually, but just be prepared because she goes there, okay? There's no, there's no stone that's left unturned. She will talk about everything. And I want to encourage you couples to come along. Um, tickets are not available just yet, but they will be very soon. And we'll let you know when they are. But come along. It's a wonderful evening that you can actually have a meal together to talk together there'll be time for discussion and we're talking all things sex so it should be a whole lot of fun there are flyers on the on the seats every second seat's got one so take one of those with you um <coughs> and uh let's let's really enjoy that uh, that evening on the 11th um while we're doing this series this marriage series um we're just doing something a little bit fun um so outside in the f lobby as you came in you may not have noticed but there's a bunch of blow-up heart <coughs> balloon hearts on the wall, and um, we're encouraging you to take a selfie with you and your spouse. Um, so if you do that and you follow the series of very detailed, um, what's the word, things that you have to do, selfie rules, um, then you can go into the running to win a $300 crown gift card so that you and your loved one can go and stay at the Crown for a night and really love it up together. So um, I would encourage you, every time that you do it, you have to post it on Instagram. Uh, you have to ha get the hashtag right. You have to tag Oasis Church Perth in it. So there's a, a few hurdles to jump through, but it's worth it for $300 and a night away. I would do it, and I'm not allowed to do it. So um, a little bit disappointed, a little bit jaded by that, but anyway. Um, so let's get on with this series, this series about marriage. Um, and I, we've done it every year since we've started Oasis Church, and it's always been an empowering time. It's a great thing for us to get right. It's a great thing for us to work on and talk about um, because 
it's it's really bad if we just assume that everything's going fine. There are seasons for every marriage that are going to be ups and are going to be downs. And let's talk about those things that we go through together and get it right together. So um, for this series, we're going to be exploring this book here. It's written by uh, Timothy Keller. He's a well-known, um, I was going to say Pentecostal. What's the denomination? Presbyterian minister in New York City. Um, he's an amazing preacher and he's written a bunch of books, but this one's called The Meaning of Marriage. So um, it's a meaty read. So it's not light and fluffy. It's, it's really well considered and thoughtful. Um, but I would encourage you to, to have a read of this book if you want to explore a little bit more about your marriage. You can buy it at where books are sold, as they say. You can buy it on your Kindle, I'm sure, or iBooks. Um, so do yourself a favor and, and read some of that. But I'm going to be exploring and we'll be exploring some of those themes um, that are found in the book. Okay, so um, this is the funny thing. I mean, we just saw the video before about you know people's expectations, what their thoughts are. And you know, obviously has descended into cynicism for some of those people. But um, I think for many of us, when we first get married, when we first even dream about the idea of marriage, for a woman, it's, it's really different to what a guy thinks, isn't it? I mean, a woman's thinking, oh, you know, getting married is going to be awesome. He's going to be able to stare into my eyes all day. He'll probably plait my hair and, you know, we'll, we'll talk deep and meaningful things all the time. You know, he'll carry me across the threshold of our new home and we'll just dream up baby names, and it's just going to be wonderful. And yet the guy's not thinking those things at all, is he? Please tell me there's no guys in the room who were thinking those thoughts before you got married. You were thinking about unlimited sex. You were thinking, when I get married, I'll have sex all day long, probably two or three times on a Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Just on tap. I'll just snap my fingers, and we'll be able to have sex, right? Um, well, that's what I thought, at least. Um, little did I know. <laughs> get ready for too much info by the way um we're going there but we we go into marriage and we've got these expectations we've got these thoughts and ideas of of what marriage should be like and then we're confronted with reality aren't we like this other human being with all of their strengths and weaknesses and you've got to try and mesh and work this out together and for many people, especially as you know, younger generations come into adulthood, um, they look at people whose marriages haven't worked so well and they go, well, why should I even bother? What's the point of marriage? Maybe marriage is a failed institution. Maybe it's not even worth pitching for. It's not even worth trying for if so many people fail at it. If it's so hard and so difficult, well, maybe we just do away with it altogether. So let's start off today by having a look at what Paul has to say, the Apostle Paul who was a, an influential leader in the early church. Um, let's have a look what he has to say in Ephesians 5, verse 31 and 32. He says this, A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. A profound mystery. Who can relate to profound mystery? Like your spouse, understanding your spouse, Working out marriage and doing it well, it's a mystery, isn't it? I mean, some days, it's amazing. Marriage is amazing. The sun is shining. You just look at each other and you can like, I know you. I know what you're thinking. We've got this. Your team, you're working together. Everything is just flowing. It's just working awesomely. And yet other days, the clouds roll in and it's just hard. And you can't seem to see eye to eye. You can't understand one another. You can't get where they're coming from. You just, it's just frustrating and annoying. 
and you, sometimes you just don't know where to start. It's like the 2,000-piece puzzle, and I've got a picture of a puzzle up here of Finding Dory. It's like, where do I even start? Where do I begin? Where do I begin? And don't say, I begin with the corners, because that's obviously obvious. But um, it sometimes does feel like a puzzle, doesn't it? It's like, oh my goodness, this is complex. This is difficult. And it is difficult. And look, you look at some of the statistics, and these are not entirely up-to-date ones, but here's a couple for you. In 1970, 89% of births, of all births, were to married parents. But today, only 60% are, and maybe... You know, today's stats are probably significantly different to that. I think we've got a slide there, Ben, um, of some of these stats. Over 72% of American adults were married in 1960, but only 50% were in 2008. And so you can see that um, there's a growing skepticism about what's the point of marriage. Why should we even bother with marriage? And for some young people... The, it seems like an impossibility to have a stable marriage, but maybe even worse, that many people are more terrified about having boring sex. Like, I have to have sex with the same person for the rest of my life? For some people, that's a scary and repulsive thought. Chris Rock said this, Do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? Again, I know this is cynical, but some people think that way. So people will sort of come up with the somewhere in between let's come up with a compromise and they say all right well i'll live together with a sexual partner and that will be the way that i avoid having to deal with the problems of marriage i'm going to dodge that bullet and we're just going to live together and see how it goes and many people today it's in fact it's quite normal if in my workplace uh, for me to to say that i'm married i'm the odd one out everyone else has got a life partner and that's completely fine Um, but it's less and less a common thing to be married um, and so it's common today that we'll, we'll live together for a while, and it's like the try-before-you-buy kind of idea. I'm going to see if we're compatible, see if we're sexually compatible, see if things work out together, and then maybe, you know, if all of those things are all going humming along nicely, uh, we'll get married. But interestingly, uh, there was a Gallup survey, and I don't have the exact date of it, but it found that there was evidence that those who live together before marriage are more likely to break up after marriage. Crazy thing. And I've heard plenty of those stories before where they've lived together for like 10 years and then they decide that they get married and then two years later they're divorced. How on earth does that work? I don't have an answer for that, um, but it's just so interesting uh, that attitudes are changing. 50 to 100 years ago, like we saw those statistics and the trend that's continuing, um, it was a very different picture. And what marriage was meant to be or was supposed to be in society was very different. I'm going to read to you a quote from a legal scholar. His name's John Witt, Jr. He said this, The Catholic and Protestant churches held and taught a view of marriage that's quite different to what we hear today. Marriage created character by bringing male and female into a binding partnership. Lifelong marriage was seen as creating the only kind of social stability in which children could grow and thrive. The reason society had a vested interest in the institution of marriage was because children could not flourish as well in any other kind of environment. And this is from Timothy. He says, From the 18th to 19th century, attitudes began to change. Instead of finding meaning through self-denial, giving up one's freedoms, through binding oneself to the duties of marriage, marriage was defined as finding emotional and sexual fulfillment in self 
self-actualization. I know there's some big words in there and it's, it's kind of meaty. But instead of marriage being about like we're getting married because it's good for the kids or it's good for family, it's good for society, it's good because God says that it's good. Um, it's more about my advancement, my actualization, my satisfaction, filling my tank and making me feel happy. Unfortunately, what happens when the, when the pendulum tilts and it becomes more about me and more about what I want out of marriage, everything begins to change and our expectations become a burden because what I want out of marriage is the perfect marriage, isn't it? If, if it's about me and it's about what I want to get out of marriage, it becomes more and more about, oh my goodness, I've got to make the right decision. It's got to be the right one. It's got to be the right person. Otherwise, what if I get it wrong and it's just going to be terrible? And because we set the bar so high, because we, we're just dreaming of this perfect person, then our fears begin to grow too. And then because that per- person's not out there, the perfect person doesn't exist, we start to become jaded and cynical about m- what marriage could p- potentially be. Not only that, here's another, I guess, trend that we're seeing in today's society is about men being commitment phobic. I mean, who's heard that many, many times about the young guy who's just not wanting to commit, not wanting to commit? And I think in a, in a way, there's a little bit of society that's shaping men to, to be thinking in those ways because it's more about self-actualization now, isn't it? Um, so what we see more and more is this, you know, sexualization of women. It's not just pornography, but it's just in movies. It's just in media, wherever you go, that, you know, the girl's got to be a babe. It's this sort of everything sexualized for women. And, and men, in their search for a partner, funnily enough, they're actually interested in finding a soulmate. They do actually want to have a soulmate, but they want this combo of a soulmate and a babe. They need to have the combo deal. And um, here's a, a survey that was done, and they, they were asking questions of these guys um, yes, they're interested in what's, you know, they, they're wanting somebody who they can be sexually attracted to, um, but they're more important in compa- compatibility. And their definition of what compatibility is all about is someone who is willing to take them as they are and not change them. You hearing me? Like, I want someone who can meet my needs, who can fulfill all my desires and my needs, but not change me. Because if, if they kind of change me, that's... There's friction there, and I don't want that. My soulmate is somebody who's just going to accept me for all the things that I am, and I can just get on and enjoy myself. I can enjoy the sexual benefits of being married, but I'm not going to have someone who's in my ear and trying to change me, trying to make me a different person. So in fact, I'm looking for this ideal person, the perfect person who, of course, hasn't, doesn't exist. So you guys know the term punching above your weight. I'm sure you blokes would have heard that term before. It's usually a, a term that describes a guy whose partner or wife is way better looking than they are, right? You know that saying? Um, we, we're not cruel and we don't say that about girls, but we often talk about guys. So I want to show you a photograph of a real-life guy who's punching above his weight. Um, ben, why don't you chuck that photo up for me? So this guy, and you know, you, you, you feel free to laugh, by the way, because... Um, this guy won a, an actual competition, a punching above your weight competition in Newcastle in the UK. He won the competition and, um, and he, 
he got the babe. But that to me, that photo to me, I know it's a little bit funny, but that to me describes some of the ways that we think. We have this ideal picture of what our perfect spouse is going to look like. And we, we're holding out for the perfect thing, but it seems quite improbable. He did actually get married, so the next slide shows that um, they tied the knot. And uh, it's, it's a really happy story, and it gets better because I found out that like two years ago, he won a one million pound lottery in the UK. So the guy's doing something right. Um, anyway, that was just a little bit of a humor break. I hope you got the spirit that that was intended. But look, we're, we're not going to marry the perfect person. We're not going to marry the right one. In fact, we're probably always going to marry the wrong one because we're the wrong one. Let's face it. Like, who's the perfect person? Who, why do we put ourselves up on that pedestal to say that we're so perfect that we deserve perfect? We don't. We're not perfect, and neither should we expect perfection. Author Denis de Rougemont, he's French, by the way, he wrote this, Why should neurotic, selfish, immature people suddenly become angels when they fall in love? What's the expectation? But it is, isn't it? Like we just think, we'll fall in love and they'll be perfect and I'll be perfect and everything will be perfect. And I think to, to some extent we've bought this, we've drunk the Kool-Aid of popular culture, haven't we? We watch the, the romantic movies and we know how it goes. That the guy and the girl, they fall in love and then about three quarters of the way through the movie, there's some kind of misunderstanding, isn't there? Something, someone betrays someone, there's some secrets exposed and she flees in a taxi or you know in a plane or something happens and then just before the end of the movie he comes bolding black he changes his mind he realizes the errors of his ways he goes back they meet up they get together and then the credits roll you familiar with that storyline that's the way it goes and we think that's the way it's going to happen we'll just resolve the one little problem that we have and then it's happy days after that and yet we know that the reality of that is so different the other thing that happens when we, we're dreaming of the perfect, our partner, our future partner is just going to be so amazing and so perfect, we begin to deify them. We turn them into God in our imagination. They're going to be perfect. They're going to be amazing. And so in that honeymoon phase, yes, you're beautiful, you're amazing. And, you know, he, he likes her. She's so quiet and she lets him, lets him take the lead. But then the years go by and all of a sudden he interprets her stares and her silence as some kind of judgment against him. She used to love the way he was so happy-go-lucky and just laugh along and just go with it and let her choose the, the wedding presents. And then as the years go by, she's mad at him because he's always lying on the couch and he's not getting up and doing stuff and he's lazy. And it, it just seems like we go from one extreme to the other because we've made them into gods. We've made our future mate into a, this beautiful person who's going to redeem us and fix us and make us better and improve our lives. And then the reality strikes and we realize, and you know, it's not that I realized that I had the wrong interpretation. It was like, they let me down. They let me down. They lied. They deceived me. They did the wrong thing. But it's really, they were just being themselves all along. And it was our interpretation, our idea that this perfect person was going to set us free. And that's the problem because in a society where we've rejected the idea of God, well, what have we got left to replace it with? And often we do that with our spouse. We, we make them into gods. We make them into redeemers. And they can't be that because they're just broken people like you are and I are. No one can play the part of God except God. So let's go back to our key scripture today, Ephesians 5, verse 31. 
Paul says, A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. This great mystery, this great mystery. Paul is imagining Christ giving his life up for his church. That's the picture that he wants us to have in our heads. And if we back it up a bit, a couple of verses to verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's a really big picture. It's a really big idea to start thinking about Christ and the church and the enormity of that sacrifice. But it's easy for us who are Christians to love God in return because once we understand what he did for us, once we understand that he gave himself up completely for us, our ability to reciprocate love is so easy, isn't it? It's easy for me to to love a person who's laid down their life for me, who's given everything for me. I can love that, and guess what? I can trust. I'm willing to trust somebody who's already done the hard work for me. Does that make sense to you guys? And Paul is saying in the same way, husbands, love your wives. Lay your lives down for them. That's the beginning. It's not about self-actualization. It's not about what you can get out of it. It's, It's crossing this place of no return of actually, no, it's not about me anymore. It's not about what I can get out of it. But if I'm a Christian, I'm walking with God. He's asking me to lay my life down, the opposite spirit. And guess what that does in the heart of a woman when a man is willing to lay his life down in sacrificial love? What's the reciprocation? They see that and trust grows. They're willing to love in return. They're willing to give that love in return because they've already seen the sacrifice. And when it's working, it's, it's a beautiful thing to behold. It's a wonderful thing to behold. And instead of one person pulling the other down or being rejected by the other, and that leads to this backwards and forwards of escalating acrimony, all of a sudden, it's, I'm sacrificing giving myself to you. Oh, wow, you're doing that for me. That's incredible. What can I do to serve you? And then, oh, that's beautiful. What can I do to serve you? What can I do to serve you? What can I? And, and it's, it just goes up and up and up. And all you want to do is love. And the love just grows and blossoms and mushrooms. And it's an amazing thing to behold. And that love, that willingness to sacrifice is where it all begins. And we see the model of Christ loving his church, sacrificing himself for his church. Is that making sense to you guys? I'm not saying it's easy, hey. It's hard. It's really hard. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it, be awesome at it. And it's not, it's not hard in the sense of like an, an elite athlete who can just train hours and hours and hours a day and just get great at it. Because we'd see all the elite athletes be awesome at their marriages. And I don't think that's the case. It's hard because we're broken. You're broken. I'm broken. Your spouse is broken. We're all broken. We're broken beings in need of salvation, in need of that salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. But if you can do marriage with your Savior, with Jesus Christ, learning to love in that sacrificial fashion, learning to break through your brokenness with the power that lies within you, you will have the beginnings of a great marriage, a great relationship. And I want to encourage you, it's possible. Just because something's hard, don't give up on it. 
Don't believe that it can't be done. I believe 100%, and we're just about to be married for 17 years. Hallelujah. And it just keeps getting better and better and better. It's really great. It's really fun, and it gets richer, and it gets richer. And I'm not saying that there were never hard patches. It was never hard. It is hard, and it should be hard at times because hard work is what gets you the results. And if you're willing to lay your life down as Christ laid his life down for you, you will have the very first step to success in your marriage. I want you to start believing that that's possible. You know, just flick that switch from cynicism into faith, from unbelief into belief, because I believe that for every marriage in this room, there is hope. It doesn't matter where you are on the scale from, you know, just about to separate to just going strong. There is hope. I believe there is hope for your marriage because where Jesus is there in your midst, he's going to help you. He's going to help you. So I've got a little bit of homework for you guys today, just something to think about. It's just this one simple thought. What can I do to serve my partner, my spouse, my husband or my wife? What can I do that would serve them? What can I do that would be undergirding and loving rather than what do I want from my spouse? How have they disappointed me? What are they doing wrong? What can I do despite whatever might be going on? What can I do? And you might say, well, look, that's ridiculous. It's, it's impossible. It's not going to make any difference whatsoever to the difficulty, the world of pain that I'm in right now. And I just want to say, every destination starts with the first step. It just take that very first step. And I want to encourage you to take that first step today. How can I serve them? How can I love them well? And if you do that, if you put that into action, that's a, a really great step that you can take toward building health into your marriage.